Amen. Good evening. Glad we have a Bible. Amen. I just do not know where we would be without a Bible. Crazy, crazy world we live in. It seems like it gets crazier every minute at an exponential rate anymore. I do, uh, we're going to be in Ezekiel, if you want to turn there. I've got just one thought on the Elihu thing. I never really thought about it exactly before, but why God wouldn't have required a sacrifice of him. But my guess is that he's actually Shakespeare. So, I mean, you know, if you follow literature at all, they debate about whether Shakespeare was even a real person. And if you ever read Elihu, he sounds like as much like Shakespeare as anybody in the Bible anyway. So, I don't know, he's some kind of incarnation. I, I don't know, I'm just throwing that out there. That's just for fun. You can laugh at that, by the way, all right? This is home crowd tonight. Be all right. Hurt my feelings anyway, if you don't. All right. Good, uh, good music today. Loved uh, Brother Wisdom's song this morning, and uh, I had not heard it before, but tremendous message in that song from uh, Jade and Evelyn tonight. Um, just love music that's got, got some heart to it, some real doctrinal meat. Uh, so much that passes as Christian music is, is just fluff, quite frankly. Uh, that blesses my soul. Uh, message was good this morning as well. Um, and Pastor talked quite a bit about Job uh, being a captive. And we're going to look at another man this evening, a little bit, Lord willing, that was, uh, was a captive as well, somewhat in a different way. Um, and in some ways, just like, uh, like we are sometimes in our time. Um, this will probably be a little more Bible study-esque uh, than preaching. Really, this is just, I just finished Ezekiel in my, my regular yearly Bible reading and uh, was just captivated by a few thoughts uh, this past year as I read through it, some stuff I hadn't seen before. And so I just like to kind of go through it a little bit. Sometimes it's nice. I mean, you can't do justice to an entire book like Ezekiel in one message, probably not in, in one year. Uh, there'll be a thousand things that, that we'd have to miss. But sometimes it's kind of nice to get a little perspective and sort of try to absorb it uh, where it stands and, and in its context. And uh, we'll just go through it a little bit tonight, uh, the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Amos said, surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And uh, you don't have to turn to that. That's, that's Amos 3.7. But I just say again, it's, it's great to have a Bible. I mean, in this world that we live, uh, not knowing what's going on, but God says he reveals things. And he's the only one that really knows what's going on, quite frankly. And without this book, without the mind of the Lord... Uh, we're just scattered to and fro. Crazy. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 1. The uh, Bible says, Now it came to pass in the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Chebar, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this place, for these people that are here tonight. I pray you'd meet with us these next few moments, that you would uh, show us wondrous things out of your law, Lord, that you would be magnified, that your people would be edified and uh, challenged and encouraged. We love you, and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel's writing, is, his name is only mentioned twice in the Bible. 
You know, sometimes we have Bible characters that are mentioned throughout, like a David or a Moses, and you have all kinds of context. Ezekiel is only mentioned twice in the Bible, um, and both times it's in the book of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel's a, he's an interesting character. He's typically one of the five so-called post-exilic prophets, meaning one of the, the prophets that prophesied uh, after the divided kingdom. So I always like to get kind of a little bit of, of context on a timeline. I'm constantly reminded how often I need to remember and put these things in their, in their place because I forget them constantly as well. But really, you go all the way back to creation at about 4,000 B.C., and then you move up about 1,500 years to Noah, around 2,500, 2,100-ish, you're at the time of, of Abraham, 1,400-ish is Moses, and then around, and I'm rounding all these numbers off, but around 1,000 is King David, right? So that's a quick step through thousands of years of history. And King David is the, the start of this, uh, the Jewish monarchy, if you will, and in 931 is when the kingdom is divided. Right? You have Rehoboam in the south <coughs> and Jeroboam in the north, and the kingdom's divided, ten tribes and two. And if you know much about your Bible, it's when we get into all these different kings that we read about, most of them bad, with a, a few gems along the way. Uh, all of them in the north are bad. Right? That's, tip, that's called Israel, those ten tribes, the northern tribes, their, uh, their capital is in Samaria. And then the two tribes in the south, which are called Judah, and their capital is in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel fits into an interesting spot in here. And I kind of called him a, a man of the times because he spans an interesting time in Israel's history. And he also, at 13 different times in the book of Ezekiel, he mentions the date. And he mentions it specifically like we just read. In this year, and he gives us some sort of reference, and typically in this month and on this day as well. So he's a man, and he wrote a book that's very concerned about dates and the timing of things. Um, he's, he said here in his, in his opening that it was in the 13th year, in the fourth month, and the fifth day of the month, that I was among the captives. So... Um, 931, the kingdom's divided. 722 is the typical date. And some of these, you know, people will argue over a few years here and there. And you got to give some latitude usually to that. But 722, the northern tribes are taken captive by the Assyrians, right? And then uh, you have Josiah who goes out and fights in Megiddo. And uh, 605, Pharaoh Necho defeats Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, you can read about that in Jeremiah 46. And that's the same time, 605, the first exiles are, are taken to Babylon. So the northern tribes are taken to Assyria. The Babylonian captivity, which is what happens to the southern two tribes, happens in a few stages. Okay, They end up in Babylon, but it doesn't happen all at once. A, a first sort of uh, the uh, king of Babylon comes and he sort of, you can imagine it like, okay, I want to take this place over. How should I go about it? You know, you can come in and just wipe people out, but he wants things to be successful when he's done at the end, right? And what he does is he comes in and he takes out really the best of the land, the brightest that are there, and he takes them into exile, takes them into Babylon. And at this first time is probably when Daniel was taken. 
And if you know anything about Daniel, you know, he and his, his friends, he went to the, you know, the MITs of our day and found the brightest that he could. And he brought them back to Babylon so he could teach them their culture and their language. Because he's like, I plan on taking this place over someday. And I'd like some people prepared to help run it. 597 is the second exile. He goes back and he gets another group of Jews from the southern kingdom and pulls them into Babylon. And that's, I believe, when Ezekiel is taken captive. So you imagine Ezekiel now. He's in this second wave of of Jews that are taken captive in Babylon. And he's writing, he's looking back. His people are still back in Jerusalem by and large. He's there with a few who are captive in Babylon. And he's writing through three periods of time, really. He's writing back to the, the Jews saying, here's what's going to happen. Then he writes about the time that's going to happen where the Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And then he writes about the future in which God's going to restore it and restore his people and restore the temple. And so he's looking at it. He's kind of spanning this, this whole time period. 586 is typically the date that Jerusalem is act, actually destroyed. And that's sort of the demarcation point when the final uh, exile into Babylon has happened for those southern tribes. And 538, the Edict of Cyrus happens where that's the time around of Ezra and Nehemiah that they'll go back and restore the city and the walls and, and rebuild the temple around 516. So very, very high level sort of overview of the, the timeline of some of these events. But here's Ezekiel and he says that in the, the 13th year, in the fourth month, the fifth day of the month, I was among the captives by the river Chebar. He says he saw the heavens opened and saw visions of God. And if you've ever read through Ezekiel, particularly his first few chapters, I mean, the visions that he sees are incredible. You know, Hollywood has nothing on the Bible. And if you think about what Ezekiel has been called to do, I feel like a lot of times people are a little more familiar with Jeremiah. We call him the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah was basically told by God to pronounce doom on his own people. And how do you like this for a ministry? You're told, go to your own people, lament over them, weep over them, plead with them. But I'll tell you right now, they're not going to listen. I mean, who's signing up? Does that sound like fun? Or uh, I, Jimmy and I talked a little bit sometimes about, you know, the, the street preaching ministry. And, you know, he's been doing it more than I have, maybe not as long, but he's probably done more of it. Uh, That's typically not a ministry where you just see people pouring out to come, oh, what must I do to be saved? And, you know, you're out there to be a witness, to be a testimony. You're there to obey God and do what he's called us to do, and that is to proclaim his word to a lost world. And hopefully these people... Maybe they don't think anything of it as the moment that they see it. There's something about seeing someone give testimony to the word of God, which doesn't return vain, that God can use in their life. But even knowing how few people are going to respond in our day and age, maybe you go door knocking, like I know Brother Daryl does in, in the neighborhoods and others as well. You don't see a lot of response. You know, we can say it's the sign of the time, just God's people are lazy. I mean, we can come up with whatever whatever we want. And and maybe it is. There are certainly movements of the spirit through history where you see more or less activity. But can you imagine being told, I want you to keep at it 
but you won't see any fruit from your efforts. Zero. That's when you decide whether you do it just to obey God or you buy into the world's philosophy about numbers and so on and so forth. That's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And God gives Ezekiel a similar type of ministry to speak to his own people about the fact that, look, God's pronounced judgment. You're going to Babylon, and his people don't want to believe him. I would say you need to encourage someone to take on a ministry like that. At least you would have to encourage me. And I think God does so. He shows him some fantastic things in these visions in Ezekiel chapter 1. He shows him this fire from the north, this whirlwind, as you see there in in verse 4. Now, it's from the north, and, and this whole section is very symbolic. And Babylon is going to invade from the north. He says, you've got judgment coming. The fire of judgment is coming upon you. It's coming from the north. Then he shows them these cherubs, these incredible creatures. And uh, you'll notice there, if you you go through chapter 1, numerous times that he mentions their likeness or like unto. uh, Verse 16, like unto the color of barrel. In verse 22, the likeness of a firmament, uh, likeness of a throne in verse 26. Uh, Likeness and appearance of and as are all through this chapter. He mentions these four cherubims. They have four faces. And it's interesting to me that you think of them, they have four faces, and the Bible says they don't have to turn to see everything. They kind of move almost like just north, south, east, west without having to turn their neck or anything. And, of course, he's, he's given this as a likeness. But it says that one of their faces is like a lion, one is like an ox, one is like a man, and one is like an eagle which I think match up to the four Gospels very well. Maybe you could push that too far, but uh, a lion, Matthew, represents the Lord Jesus Christ as the king, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, an ox is a beast of burden, and Matthew presents Christ as the, the servant. And uh, man, of course, Luke represents Christ as the perfect man. And then John as the son of God, I think represented by the eagle, which I just think is interesting. And you, you look at them with each of their four faces and it probably they're each turned 90 degrees from each other because it gives the impression that no matter which side you're looking you can see one of these four faces no matter which side you're on and then they have these incredible wheels that he starts talking about in verse 15 and I remember reading this for years and thinking okay it talks about a wheel within a wheel and that sounded kind of like you know a bearing or a car wheel to me one just inside the other but I think they're more like a gyroscope would look, like they kind of can turn around each other. And the Bible says they can, they can move forward and back. And the, the spirit of these creatures is in the wheels. Like your mind can just go crazy trying to figure out what in the world he's talking about. But he says all this to Ezekiel. And he, he says he, he really goes from the earth all the way up to the heaven where he shows them the throne of God covered by a rainbow and a picture of God's grace. And if you look at chapter two and in verse five, He's kind of giving his commission here. He says in, well, in verse four, he says, and they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them. Now shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord God. Well, that's what we need to proclaim. Verse five, and they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. 
God's saying, I'm going I'm to give you the goods, as we might say, Ezekiel, and they're going to know that there's been a prophet among them. Boy, he's telling them stuff like Ezekiel <laughs> had. Uh, that's saying something. Jeremiah had told them to, to settle down in Babylon for 70 years. But you can read uh, Jeremiah 28, 29, false prophets arise from among their own people and start saying, uh, don't believe that stuff Jeremiah is saying. It, it's not going to be bad like the preacher says it is. That, that's never going to happen. I mean, we're God, the apple of God's eye. We're his people. This is God's city. If there's a city of God on earth, it's Jerusalem. There's no way God's going to let all these bad things happen. Does that sound like the day that we live in? I don't believe those preachers. They've been saying that stuff for who knows how long. Just like pastor said, well, it's one day closer today than it was yesterday. In chapter 3, Ezekiel eats a scroll, and then God tells him to go and speak to the people. And uh, not too hard to probably draw some illustration from that, that we need to devour God's word ourselves if we're going to share it with the world around us. In chapters 4 through 24, he pronounces woes against the city of Jerusalem. And again, 586, Jerusalem is finally destroyed. That's when Babylon comes in, wipes things out, and takes more or less all of the Jews to Babylon. And in chapter 4, Ezekiel is given this strange uh, command by God to lay on his left side for 390 days. And the first time I read that, I was like, okay, I'm, he must mean just like each day spend some time laying on your left side. But I don't know, reading it through, it sounds to me like he literally meant lay on your left side and don't get up for 390 days. I just, my arm hurts just thinking about laying on my side for 390 minutes, much less 390 days. But isn't that a crazy request? 390 days for the sins of Israel. Oh, and then when you're done... He doesn't say go get a massage or something and work the kinks out, because that's what I'd be thinking probably at day two. He says, no, then 40 days on your right side for the sins of Judah. That's just crazy. That's what God has him do. And then in that same chapter, chapter four, and verse nine, he uh, tells him to make Ezekiel bread. And a lot of people kind of know, oh, Ezekiel bread, you know, that's that's Bible food. And well, it is food that's in the Bible. Uh, If you make it, I'd be curious if you cook it the way that Ezekiel did later on in the chapter. You can keep reading. And he, uh, it even sounds gross to him, so he asks God to make some adjustments, and God allows it. Let's just put it that way. You can read those details for yourself. But Ezekiel bread is really, it's, it's bread of affliction. Now, I'm not saying Ezekiel bread is bad for you, and if you eat it, I mean, I've had it. I, I like it okay, but I don't think it's a prescription for the perfect diet. God is trying to show them something. And particularly, you look at the ingredients, and they kind of go from good to worse in some respect. And God's talking about, there's, this is bread of affliction. You're going to weigh it out and eat it and drink your water in measure. Because look over at chapter 5. You can imagine, here's the preacher, and God's giving him these illustrations to live out in front of people. Now, they already didn't like his preaching. What do you think they think about his preaching after they turn on the TV and find that he's on day 389 of laying on his left side? Can you imagine what the talk that goes on in houses about how weird Ezekiel is? And, and look at this stuff he's eating. <laughs> That's below us. They, they would have, you know, thumbed their nose at that sort of a diet, but it's a lot better than what they had coming. 
Ezekiel chapter 5, this is talking about the fall. In verse 10, he says, Therefore, the fathers shall eat the sons in the midst of thee, and the sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgment in thee, and the whole remnant of thee will I scatter into all the winds. Hmm. Ezekiel bread's sounding real good now. I think he's, he's preparing them through an illustration that God gave him. This reminds me of the, the Rechabites in Jeremiah 35, where God's people look at them like, oh, those people, they live outside of town. You know, they, they live in huts, and they're real simple. They don't drink. Pfft, we don't want to have to live like that. We're living it up here in town. And Jeremiah tells them, nope, the time's coming when they're the ones that are going to fare much better than you. You'd be much better off with Ezekiel bread than what you have coming. And the siege is foretold. And you go on through the book. And again, where there's a thousand things that we would skip. Chapters 25 to 32 concern his prophecies against the Gentile nations. So he's saying, look, destruction is coming to Jerusalem, to God's people in the, the southern tribe. But then, and this is a recurring theme throughout the scripture, God says, I'm going to use the ungodly to chasten you. But... When they're done chastening you, I'm going to chasten them. God doesn't like seeing his, his kids hurt. You're a parent. You don't like seeing your kids hurt, right? Now, sometimes they need discipline. God pronounces judgment on them. Judgment on Tyre is, is uh, one of the particular ones there in chapters 26 and 27. Chapters 33 to 39, we see Israel's restoration. That's where you see... Uh, Ezekiel, I think, given sort of a recommission as the watchman on the wall to Israel. Um, lots of messages that come out of that. The Valley of the Dry Bones in, in chapter 37. Judgment upon Gog in 39. Uh, chapter 40 through 48 is this incredibly detailed picture of uh, the new temple and the, the city as it's redone. Uh, the last verse in the book, actually, Ezekiel 43, 35 says it was round about 18,000 measures and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. God amongst them, God's presence amongst them. The Jews had witnessed the best of them taken to Babylon and that should have sparked repentance in them. But all it did was drive them further into their idolatry. They were sin intoxicated and refused to give it up, even when God is giving them message after message, illustration upon illustration, preacher upon preacher, like how many different ways can I spell it out to you? They scoffed at those that were taken in the first few deportations. You can imagine how the, the talk went. Ha, those are probably the least godly among us that are over there in Babylon. God's showing them. Not quite. Not quite. I think this probably coincides with the, uh, the prophecy of the, the good and bad figs, if you've read that in Jeremiah chapter 24. Bolstered by their false prophets among them who tickled their ears, told them what they want to hear. And many of those, go over to Ezekiel 33. And it wasn't just those that were left back. Many, no doubt, of those that were already in sort of the pre-exile captivity with Ezekiel had doubts, no, uh, no doubt as well. Uh, in Ezekiel 33, look at verse 30. Also, thou son of man, the children 
of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses. Talking about the preacher when you go home, huh? By the walls and the doors of the houses. Speak one to another, every one to his brother, saying, Come, I pray you, and hear what is the word that cometh forth from the Lord. Sounds spiritual. And they come unto thee as the people cometh. And they sit before thee as my people. As my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. I thought about a lot of modern day preaching, contemporary Christian music, as it's called. That's what I thought of as I'm reading that verse. Oh, the preacher sounds so good, doesn't he? And oh, we, we love this music. It's so pleasant. It's a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice. Yeah, you ever notice those mega churches? They never have just, oh, the family so-and-so is going to get up and give us a song. And oh, it's got to sound professional. We only want to hear smooth, good-sounding stuff. And can play well on an instrument. Well, there's another requirement. I'm getting off on a tangent there. And they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. Interesting. Ezekiel, if you... If I've got the timing right, and I know timing can be difficult, but Jehoiakim is the second to the last king of the southern tribe. And when Babylon comes in and and takes that second group captive that I think Ezekiel is among, he sort of puts uh, Zedekiah, who's the last king, he's kind of a, a vassal king, really. He's left in charge, but he's more or less powerless. And from that time till the fall is 14, or excuse me, 11 years. His reign, if you want to call it that, is 11 years. And then, and then Ezekiel gives us some timeline in there between the 11 years and 14 years. And if you sort of do the math, if I have it right from chapter 40, verse 1, and chapter 1, verse 1, it looks like Ezekiel was 25 years when he went into the captivity. And five years later he started his public ministry. I think that's interesting. The 30-year-old man who's called repeatedly the son of man, I think that term's used 108 times in the Old Testament, and 93 of them are all referring to Ezekiel. (laughs) Son of man is always talking about a, a human being, if you will, all in the Old Testament. We know that was... Christ has typically said his favorite reference to himself. He's called the son of man. He's the only one called the son of man in the New Testament. But the man who's called the son of man more than anyone else in the Old Testament begins a public ministry at 30 years of age when he sees the heavens open and visions of God revealed to him. I find that interesting. I think the message, if you will, of Ezekiel, 67 times it's found in these 48 chapters You see the phrase, they shall know that I am the Lord. The message is, I'm going to give Ezekiel a vision and a message, a mission. 
I'm going to show the destruction of Jerusalem and pronounce judgment against it. The judgment's going to happen. God's going to judge the Gentile nations, and then he's going to restore his people and the city and the temple. And all throughout there, repeated over and over and over, they're going to know that I'm the Lord. They're going to know that I'm the Lord. Ezekiel has to do some weird stuff along the way. Uh, we're about done here, but go back to chapter 4 real quick. I'll show you just one of any number of, of these. In chapter 3 of Ezekiel, I think it's interesting that God tells Ezekiel he's going to be dumb. Not dumb like thick in the head, but unable to speak. And as you can imagine, that's kind of a difficult impediment for a preacher. A preacher who can't speak. But then he goes through a a number of different stages. And one of them is this. See if you find this interesting. Ezekiel chapter 4. Thou also, son of man, take thee a tile and lay it before thee. And portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. And lay siege against it. This sounds like a kid playing with army men, doesn't it? Lay siege against it, the city that you're portraying. Build a fort against it. Cast a mount against it. Set the camp also against it and set battering rams against it round about. I mean, he must be building figurines way before army men were invented. Moreover, take thou unto thee an iron pan. See, now this sounds a little more practical. It's like, okay, when you run out of all the the dolls and figurines you can make here, just go ahead and use a pan from the kitchen. And set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city and set thy face against it and it shall be besieged and thou shalt lay siege against it. This shall be a sign to the house of Israel. I mean, just let your imagine run for a minute or two to this character. He says he's seen grand visions from heaven. He eats this crazy concoction of of lentils and beans and stuff, lays on one side of his body for 390 days, and he says it's for some big purpose. He sits in his house in a way that apparently other people can see because that's the purpose of it, and does little war games on the floor with figurines that he makes, and he uses a cast iron pan to act like the wall. I mean, are, are we tracking here? Oh, the Bible's so boring. I don't know what Bible you're reading. Pick up Ezekiel. Go through this thing. I I get it's hard to track. Sometimes I read it. I'm like, "Uh, what is he talking about? But there's some stuff in here that God will show you. If you just give yourself some time, let the Holy Spirit work through you. But he does all this. And then Ezekiel 24, which is the end and the destruction of the city as he's prophesying. In verse 27, he says, in that day shall thy mouth be opened. To him which is escaped, and thou shalt speak, and be no more dumb, and thou shalt be a sign unto them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. I mean, I know that's a kind of a long road, as, as uh, Brother King would say, to a short house. But I think there's some example, and even as eccentric a character as Ezekiel, for us today. I think we've been given some signs by God, haven't we? Maybe not in the sense that a prophet is, but through God's word. He's saying, take this in, eat it, 
devour it, get a good taste of it, and then go out there and proclaim it to a world, oh, who, by the way, may not like what you have to hear. In fact, they might think you're kind of weird and not worth listening to you. They might actually mock you and think you're sort of crazy. You know, it's interesting. They scoffed at the people who had been taken in the first deportation. You know, when the Bible talks about the rapture and then it says that those who are left behind, God's going to send them strong delusion. I mean, way back when, I used to think, what kind of delusion would make somebody believe something that crazy? But see, now it's 2023, and I'm like, I don't think that's going to take anything at all, quite frankly. People are deluded without, <laughs> without much help. They'll believe just about anything. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Woohoo, we're lights to the world, yeah. And men love darkness rather than light. Right? Go to chapter one, and let's be done. Chapter one of Ezekiel. <clears throat> he sees the end of this vision. In the last verse, chapter 21, he says, In the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice, one that spake. He saw, he fell, and then he heard. You know, sometimes we probably think of it maybe happening in a different order, but when we get a real vision of who God is, it may not be cherubs and wheels within wheels, but through his word, we get a picture of what our God is really like. And for me, when you read stuff like the book of Ezekiel, sometimes it shatters some of your little flannel graph kind of images of God. You know, I, I like to say that the same God that made butterflies made great white sharks. That's all our God. He's the creator of all of it. And sometimes we've got him in our little, like, say, a little flannel graph pictures or in our little box. Well, I know what God's like. Nah, we probably don't. And books like Ezekiel remind us of how much we don't. But God still wants to use us. He wants us to get a picture of him that will cause us to fall down and listen for his voice so that whether this world wants to hear it or not, we want to please our Lord and take his word to those that need to hear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this book. Lord, thank you so much for it. Thank you for our Savior and for loving us. Lord, I thank you for this church, for each one who's here tonight. Lord, I thank you for their kind attention this evening. I pray, Lord, that you would just open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, that you keep us encouraged in these days in which we live, that we'd encourage one another, pray for one another. Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth. You'd bless our fellowship. Keep us encouraged, Lord, in the, the world that you've caused us to live in. May we be people that are mindful of the times. Lord, that we keep our eyes looking up for you. Lord, that we keep our walk with you close. And Lord, that we be a good 
testimony and a witness to the world around us. We, we pray for them. Lord, we don't want to see anyone go to hell. Lord, I pray that you'd be blessed with our lives each and every day. In Jesus' name.